if you're really great with the Bible, I'm going to go to two Old Testament passages. The first one is in Ezekiel chapter 36, and the second one is in Joel chapter 2. I just really want to say to you that, you know, let's, let's pray that God moves in our whole church, that what's happening for one group can happen throughout the whole church. If there's an outbreak of the Spirit in one cell group, let's say that it explodes out across all of our cell groups, amen, that we, that we are just the Lord's doing something all amongst us. And please hear that that, that would be precious for all of us. Are you there in Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 36 says this, And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel promised that there would be a time when the Holy Spirit would live deeply within us. And then Joel prophesies, and afterwards, and when when Israel was restored, and afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Have we got all people here? Can I tell you the Greek meaning of the word all? The word in the Hebrew and the Greek means all. Okay? All people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Have we got any sons or daughters in the house today? That means you will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. Have we got any old men who could be dreamers amongst us? Good dreams, prophet. I, I'm one of those, okay? And your young men will see visions. Have we got any young men who want to see visions today? Oh, not so many. Amen? And have we got where it says, even on my servants, both men and women. Women, would you say Amen. Amen. If I said you say amen, I don't think you'd be louder than that, okay? Both on men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. You know, Kathy and I have been chatting a little bit, and I think if um, we compared Christmas and Easter and Pentecost, we, we were kind of talking and saying, we think that people are ignoring Pentecost, and we think that it would come third, in our, in our celebrations, even though we're a Pentecostal church. And even this year, probably because it's been uh, maybe overshadowed by the Queen's Jubilee and, and uh, the Platinum Jubilee, and, and perhaps that's an okay thing. But despite this, can I just say to you biblically and strongly that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit represents a brand new era in the history of humankind? that it represents a new season of human existence. Something that didn't happen before now happens. And there's been a change and a shift in the way that humans can interact with God. It's the era of the Spirit now. We, we sometimes underplay this, the significance of what this is, of how the Holy Spirit wants to be involved in our lives. And, and if I'm honest, and I include myself in this. Some of us have our favorite bit of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We, we love this bit or that bit. Uh, I was an RE teacher. I trained RE uh, to teach religious education, teach the six religions that they do in high school. And there's a very famous parable in RE about uh, four blind 
people describing an elephant. And the first blind person goes to the elephant and uh, feels the body of the elephant and said, oh, an elephant is like a wall. It's like a, it's like a big wall. A second person hugs the elephant around one of its legs and says, no, an elephant is like a tree. It's like a tree. A third person feels the tusk and says, oh, no, there's a sharp spear. An elephant is like a, like a sharp spear. And the, the fourth uh, person hugs the trunk or feels the trunk of the elephant and says, no, an elephant, eek, get back. It's a giant snake. It's a giant snake. And we're not blind, and the Lord gives us illumination, but, and the Holy Spirit has many different facets to his ministry, and we need to be careful that we don't just zero in on one of them. The Holy Spirit's a teacher. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit baptizes. The Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit speaks. And we need to see and experience all that he is and not choose our favorite Pentecostal bit that we like because we want to get to know him. But if we would take an overall view of what the Holy Spirit does, and today I just feel like I'm going to remind you of what you already know. Is that okay? Uh, you know, I, I pray for fresh revelation, but I, I just pray that there are some things that you go, ah, oh, yes. I knew that, and I want to know that again. If we took an overall view of what the Holy Spirit does, we, we say that the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives inside of us, and He also empowers us. He puts His Spirit upon us. The indwelling is there, or the living inside us is there to cause us to grow, to be like Jesus. The empowering is the enabling to serve so that we can serve and, and do things that we couldn't do without His power. The indwelling means that we can have victory over sin, that our habits, hurts, and hang-ups, we can push them back as the Spirit has more control in our lives. The empowering gives us tools to make us more effective. Paul met some believers in Ephesians uh, from Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, and they said, we hadn't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. We just know Jesus. And they asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy straight away. God gave them tools to serve. The Spirit living in you gives you the character of Christ. The Holy Spirit filling you and coming upon you gives you the ministry of Christ. And it's these two things, his character and his ministry, that we need to be really careful to say, which am I lacking in? The point is, you need both. Both are essential, and you should not overemphasize one part of the Holy Spirit's ministry over another part. I want all of him, don't you? I, I want to be, you know, greed isn't a good characteristic, but as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned, it is. Oh, I want to be, I want it to be like he's like a bakery and I'm addicted to buns and cakes. I just want more of him, don't you? Oh, somebody say amen. I want more of the Holy Spirit. There's an evangelist called Harry Allen Ironside. He spoke in America at the turn of the century. He was born in the 18th century, but about the turn of the last century, sorry. 
1905-6 and then up to 1923. And he, he did most of his ministry on the West Coast, but he, he did preach over on the East Coast of America. And, and in the East Coast of America, those of you who know the history, is where they have lots of universities. And as he was preaching, uh, a little bit like Speaker's Corner, the, there was a university press professor who was quite widely known as an atheist. And he came and went and said, I challenge you to a debate. And Harry Einstein thought that, you know, I, I, I don't really want to get into a public debate because I know it'll be fruitless. And, and you know, the Bible warns us about sometimes debating with people who don't really want an answer, they just want to debate. And I just feel in my spirit, is that you today? Have, have, you, have you been asking lots of questions, but you don't, know the, you don't want the answer? But anyway, Harry Einstein, uh, he, he, he just got this kind of, you know, he kept being persistent and said, no, debate me, debate me. And he didn't think it was uh, good. And then, he, and then he said this. He said, I will debate you if you will bring some alcoholics some drug addicts who have been set free from atheism's power. I will debate you if you bring some former working girls and criminals whose lives have been changed by the power of atheism. I will debate you if you'll bring the outcasts and those who had no hope and have them tell us how becoming an atheist has lifted their life out of that hopelessness. And he continues, if you can bring me 10 people who have been changed by the power of atheism, I will debate you. But notice this, I will bring you 200 people who have been transformed and changed by the life and ministry of Jesus. You see, and at that, the professor walked away. You see, we have to grasp something really unique about our faith. And that is this, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells his very presence, who he is, and I know the film was a little bit dramatic earlier. It kind of was a bit scary for me, all those flames going around and so on. But that very presence of God lives in you. Now, we, we have to kind of grasp it a bit. Ezekiel said, I'll put my spirit in you, which in those days, like the Jews hearing that would have gone, What? When you look at 2 Chronicles 7, chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, just flick there, of how the Lord dwelt in the temple that Solomon built, it says this, that when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. May the glory of the Lord fill this temple I pray. Priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. This is what happens to you. This is what happens to you, the very presence of God. Jesus put it this way. He says, whoever comes to me, rivers of living water will flow from out of your inner being. Or if you're a King James person, out your belly. That God wants to minister deeply from within you. He also said this, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. And then he said, I will not leave you as orphans. 
The Holy Spirit lives in you. But this is the point. We must not reduce this down to a nice idea and say, oh, I'm never alone, and, you know, it's, God's with me, and He just cuddles me now and again. But rather, you have to see the bigger lesson to that is that He enables us to become like Him and to live for Him. Somebody lift your hand and say, thank you, Jesus. You're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. In fact, Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah 33, uh, 31 verse 33, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The Holy Spirit changes us by living within us. Now, you know that I'm addicted to triangles, don't you? You need to pray for my triangle kind of uh, bondage here. And let me show you a triangle of how the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does three particular things in your life. First of all, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, He's going to illuminate the Word of God. I'm just reminding you of this. Have you ever had this experience? You've been a Christian for uh, many, many years, and then you read the Bible, a part of the Bible that you've read many, many times, and you go, wow, I've never seen that before, and it becomes real again to you. He illuminates the Word so that you can understand it. There's not one person in this place, doesn't matter about your IQ, we've got Holy Spirit in us. It doesn't matter about your IQ. The Holy Spirit will illuminate the Scripture to you. Jesus put it this way, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me because it is from me that He will, uh, will receive what He will make known to you. It's like the Holy Spirit says, here, have this message from Jesus. How many of you got a sat-nav? I've got a sat-nav in my car, and it tells me, go left, go right, go this. But actually, if you have somebody in the car with you, who's got local knowledge that can guide you, you know, that, that can, that's what the Holy Spirit does. You know, you may, the Satan may tell you, go down a street that's always busy, but actually the person in the, in the, with the local knowledge say, hey, don't do that. Go two streets on and go the way I know. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's like your personal guide. The Spirit will receive from Jesus what He wants to make known to you. Sometimes there's a word that you've read over and over again, and it just flashes into light, and it's like a particular word to you, isn't it? The next thing that the Holy Spirit does, and you know this, I'm just reminding you today, is He brings the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Now, you know what? I just want to confess to you, I can never remember this list. I always have to read it. But will you say it along with me, that the fruit of the Spirit is, say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wouldn't you like to be like that? How attractive is a person if they had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness. I missed goodness out. I had to read it. I always get it wrong. But I wonder where you need today to say, 
Holy Spirit, I, I, I just feel like I can't finish things. I need, I need your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, I just need that self-control. And here's one of the things about indwelling. You see, he's trying to change us, and there are times when we're resisting that change. And today, one of the, the, I'll come down to the whole point of this message is don't resist him. Let him have more sway in your life. But the third thing that he does is he gives you the perspective that Jesus would have in a situation. He gives you the heart of Jesus. That actually Jesus uh, walked into the temple, and you, you know that part where he turned tables over, right? And actually, People say, oh, Jesus got angry and so on. But actually, that was a very controlled thing because he scoped it out the night before. And uh, the disciples said, look at the zeal that he has for the house of the Lord. You mustn't mistake strength with anger. You mustn't mistake authority with somebody who just wants to control things. The Holy Spirit wants to give you the heart of Jesus. And there were times when Jesus just took authority in things. He wants to do the same with you. There'll be times when some things you'll see it and you'll go, that's just not right. And the zeal of the Lord consumes you. But you know, one of the most characteristics of Jesus that I notice is that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, didn't he? He had a heart for them. In fact, you know, the... Uh, Jesus very rarely did signs to prove, in fact, he never did signs to prove power, but he always did signs out of his compassion, out of the fact when he did the, the feeding of the 5,000, he didn't do it because he said, oh, this will be a great miracle. He did it because he had compassion on people. So he had a heart for people. Wouldn't you like a heart like Jesus? A perspective when, when you look out at people that you see them the way that Jesus sees them? You know, the Spirit living in us, in this indwelling, it's an automatic thing. It, it just comes as standard. It comes as a standard package. Kathy and I, we were investigating buying a new car. And when I went to the dealer, I didn't ask him, does the engine come with it? <laughs> it should just come. It just comes as standard. Now, there are some things that are not standard, like, you know, the, the person who Kathy said, oh, is there somebody that comes with this car to massage my neck while I'm driving? And the dealer said, no, no, you don't get that as standard, madam. We have to pay extra for that. I'm just being silly. But we didn't ask if the engine comes. It just comes. When you accept Jesus, you see, I, I want to speak a word of freedom to some people. Some people in this place have been a bit freaked out by other people who seem to be moving in the Holy Spirit. And you're thinking, I'm not like that. Can I just say to you, the Holy Spirit comes as standard when you receive Jesus into your heart. He's come. He's living you. It, it's automatic. He, he's not a hidden extra. And that means we begin to need, we need to yield to him and say, I'm not resisting you. I'm not resisting the fruit. I'm not resisting your heart. He's there. He's in you. He's growing you. He's maturing you. Open up to him. Let me read you a story from 
an author called Robert Heidler, he tells this story about two missionaries because there's another part of the Holy Spirit that I really believe we need to receive today when we experience Him. He tells the story of Richard and Greg. They sat, Richard and Greg sat cross-legged on the packed mud and dung floor of a dingy hut. The air reeked of decay and sweet with even urine. But they had long since ceased to notice those pungent smells around the place that they were working in. Their attention was fixed on this shriveled old man who sat facing them across the ashes of the fire pit. As the village chief, the old man spoke with confidence and authority, knowing that his words were often respected. And yet today when he spoke, and he spoke now, his words seemed frail and halting, and also maybe a little bit pathetic. And Richard and Greg had heard uh, his explanation and, and sensed the fear in the old chief's tired eyes. They were honestly perplexed perplexed because these two young missionaries, you see, were godly young missionaries with a sincere desire to serve Jesus. They had graduated from a major evangelical seminary where they'd learned to teach the Bible and apply it all to practical needs of people. Both had sensed a clear call to mission and felt the Lord direct them in the gospel and to bring the gospel particularly to this area of the third world. They had raised support. They'd gone through language school. They pioneered a new work where no missionary had gone before. And some of you are working in tough areas in this city of ours. Some of you are in areas of this city where it's tough. Some of your jobs are tough. Some of your schools are tough. Some of your assignments are tough. And at first with Greg and Richard, their ministry seemed and it looked really promising. They'd established their Bible study and the people of that area had seemed to genuinely enthusiastic. A large percentage of the village had attended, including the chief and many of the tribal elders. Yet now as they drew near to the end of their first term in the field, their entire ministry seemed like it was failing. Attendance had dwindled. And many of the people there would no longer speak to them, and, and they were wondering, have we somehow offended them? Have we somehow done some sort of cultural taboo? So they finally persuaded the chief to meet with them and discuss this problem, but they were in no way prepared for the explanation that the old man gave. No, you haven't offended us, they said. In fact, we greatly enjoy your Bible studies. Well, what's the problem then? Do you not believe the things we teach you? Richard Preston said this. We believe the things you teach us are true. And the chief responded almost in tears. But you've not given us no way to deal with the demons and the torture and the torment all night long whenever we attend your meetings. This is a fact. We don't just need knowledge. We need power. Some of the things going on in our city, some of the things that we face as a church, and you know what? Coming out of COVID, and we're all still telling each other we're tired until we get in groupthink. When you weren't tired, you're around 20 people who say they're tired. You're tired then. 
The fact is to encourage you to go again. We need power. We need the other side of the Holy Spirit, the enabling power of God to give us that strength to work in the areas that we work in. Some of your jobs are complex. You need the Holy Spirit's power. Paul said it this way, and the New Testament pattern isn't just to proclaim and teach. It's always accompanied with power. Paul said, by power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem to all the way to Croatia, Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul refused his life to be in a uh, theory-type faith. He said, my message and my preaching was not with wise persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom but on the power of God. You know, we're not supposed to start a ministry until we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You do know that, don't you? That Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, he said, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. I wonder if that could be one of our criteria for ever launching anything. Well, are we baptized with the Holy Spirit? Are we filled? Are we full of the power of God before we even launch out? You see, the indwelling of the Spirit is automatic. It comes as standard. You don't have to ask for it. He just comes in. You see, I believe that when, uh, at the end of John's gospel, do you remember when Jesus had the people in the upper room and Thomas was there and, you know, uh, he, he finally got his act together and came and Jesus said, put your finger in my side. And then at the end of all of that, Jesus said this. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that is John's version of Pentecost. Because when he says he breathed on it, it's a Greek word called enephytho. It's only used one other time in the, in the Bible. It's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, and God breathed on Adam and he became a living soul. I believe that was a time when God breathed on the disciples and they became regenerated and indwelt the same way as you're indwelt. I think if they'd have died before that time, they'd be going to heaven the same way as Moses was. But I think that was the time when they were regenerated and breathed on by the Holy Spirit. Forty days later, after being with Jesus and being explained he then said to them, wait, wait, wait in Jerusalem until you are filled, baptized, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Samaritan village received the word, and then it was Peter and John who came down and laid hands on them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul himself had this great vision of Jesus, but there wasn't only nine days later when Ananias came to him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for another triangle? I think you haven't had a triangle for a while. So just indulge me in this stronghold. You see, the empowering of the Holy Spirit has three things to it. You see, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is automatic. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is an experience. You know that it will happen. It may be a gentle experience. It may be a, a demonstrative experience for some of you, but it will be an experience, something that you know, that has happened to me. 
And that puts us off. It puts some of us on the back foot because we like to be in control of everything. And that's that's natural for us. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't need to be at the behest of every experience that comes. But the Holy Spirit wants you to know that He is filling you. And it will be an experience that you know. The second thing about it is that it's often sudden. You've prayed about it, you've prayed about it, you've prayed about it, you don't know why it worked then and it didn't work then, but it suddenly says, yes, this is your time. I am wondering if this morning is your time, when it may be a sudden thing for you. It may be gentle, but it will be real. But the other thing about the empowering of the Holy Spirit is it needs to be maintained. You know, I've been in the Pentecostal church since I was 14 years old. Now I'm 114 years old almost. (laughs) But, you know, I've been in a long time. But you know what? I've met some people. They spoke in tongues in 1958, and they go back to that as if they are Pentecostal. No. I want to say to you that in Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't two chapters later that the same group gathered for prayer in Acts chapter 4, and it says the Holy Spirit filled the house so much so it shook the house. I need a refilling of the Holy Spirit, don't you? I need to maintain that. I need the Lord to say, Mark, I want to fill you again and remind you of my power that you're not doing this on your own. Because you know what? Experience can be the killer Our experience of the Christian life, of of all our maturity can be the killer of the fresh experience that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. Because we know how to praise. We know how to do that. Why don't we say, God, I am not going to be on automatic mode today. Touch me, fill me, re-empower me. But get your purpose back in my life, Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and we'll read it at the end of the service, but it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You fill your life with the wrong things, it will lead you to the wrong places. I'm going to say that again. If you fill your life with the wrong things, it will lead you to the wrong places. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. But actually, in the Greek, you know this, you've been taught this. It says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. The empowering needs to be maintained. So today, some of you will love the indwelling of the Holy Spirit teaching. Jesus who forms me and fashions me, the Holy Spirit that forms me into the Christ-like nature. Oh, Lord, fill me with a bit of joy. Put a bit of peace in there. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come. Lord, just fill me with that patience. Uh, By the way, if you pray for patience, you know he's going to send you a trial. (laughs) And some of you are the type of people that you just love the power bit. You just love being on the streets, putting, laying hands on people, seeing God break out in miracles. Some people are great in gifts and manifestations. But I want to ask you, I'm not saying that's you, but I want to ask you, are you resisting the maturing process. The Corinthian church was like that. They could speak in tongues better than anybody. But Paul said to them, "Uh, you're divided. Is Christ divided? 
we can't be divided. We've got to not resist his maturing process. And maybe today you've perhaps been holding out on God and you know there are some things you need to lay down. What a great song we sang earlier about bringing things to the altar and you, you just need to lay them down and stop resisting him. You've got habits and hurts and hang-ups that you need to just say, God, this is yours. Holy Spirit, will you, will you produce the character of Christ in me? And some of you are growing very skeptical and uncomfortable with the experience side of being filled with the power of God. There's almost becomes this first part of our Christian lives where we're open to everything, but then as we mature, we say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to look silly. But actually, you know, when Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they love you so much that if you'll just open up, the experiences you get will fit you perfectly and take you beyond your comfort zone. Would you please stand with me? Because it's time to walk in everything that the Spirit's got for us. You are indwelt by Him. The very God lives in you. God, who created the heavens and the earth, dwells in you. What an amazing thing. Take it past being nice to God. I don't want to resist you. I want to give you the things that are holding me back. It's time to walk in everything that he has for us. Stop resisting him to mature you or, or laying that stronghold down. But actually, the other prayer is this. God, I'm open for a fresh fill. Because you know what? God's got new things that he wants you to do. You got your life mapped out and God says, you don't see my map. I've got things in your future that you can't do unless you are filled with my power. And you see, because you're wise and you've got lots of experience, you think you can meet anything. But you can't. We need the power of God to go again, to build the church again to release people again. We need it. We need Him. 